But today's reading is Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 to 38. You can find this on page 1314 of the Church Bibles. As morning dawned, the angels earned Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favour also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zohar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zohar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the, like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zohar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zohar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, 
before the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of, of the Ammonites to this day. Thank you very much, uh, Pepper and uh, Kath and Mary and the musicians and uh, all who have led us. Now, we'll turn to the second reading as part of the sermon, but let me pray uh, for our time together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word, the truth that you have revealed to us, truth that points us in so many different ways to the Lord Jesus and the salvation that is to be found through faith in him. Thank you for this Bible book, Genesis, and for all that you are teaching us through it. Speak to us now through your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, two introductory points as we get back into Genesis first. Today, we focus on Lot and his family and the lessons for faith, good and ill. We learn from them. But as we look at their lives and learn from them, as with any character in the Bible, we must, and uh, we cannot emphasize this strongly enough, keep the big picture or the theme tune of Genesis in the forefront of our minds. The primary application of this book concerns God and his judgment, his mercy, his providence, and supremely his promise of salvation. That's the primary application of Genesis and the Bible. Another way to think about that is to think about salvation as the theme tune or the melody of Genesis, the Lord's gracious, merciful salvation. And it's very important we keep hearing that tune as we study this Bible book, especially the the characters in it. And it's not adequate to get to the theme tune and the song of salvation for the last five minutes. Now, there are sections in the book like where we are today. When God's word takes us into the realm of what we are like as people, including what we are like as believing people. And these narratives confront us in a visceral way with the depth, with the depravity of human sin, including the sin that holds the righteous person with a vice life grip still. These narratives confront us, face us with our sin in our minds, consciences, wills, and passions in every realm that is the human heart. Now, if we ignore this stuff, or if we gloss over these hard bits of the narrative, we will never, one, fully grasp the human predicament, and two, never fully appreciate the sweetness and the glory and the wonder of the song of salvation in Jesus Christ. But, and this is a greater danger, if we spend time in these dark parts in the Bible, without constantly listening out for the sound of salvation, 
we will despair. As Christians, we will despair. Perhaps older Christians especially so, as we live with the consequences of our obedience and disobedience in the Christian life, of our lack of distinctiveness, perhaps the priorities we did not make clear in our families, or the ongoing struggle with sin living for years perhaps, and Lot, is this person as close as we can to a line that we know that is wrong? If we do not keep listening out for the theme tune of salvation, the gracious, loving mercy of God, the sweet, sweet name and person and character of the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we will despair or be consumed by guilt and we will buy the devil's lie that it's too late, we cannot change we cannot make progress, and there is no way back, and perhaps hardest of all, there is no way back for somebody else whose life we have turned from Christ. Mary, um, well done, Mary, when you spot something I'm going to say in your prayer. Um, God often does that, and you've got to call it out, because when he does that, he wants to say that. Every single day. So Mary, I think Mary said, every day God's mercies are new. Every single day in the Christian life, today, every single day is a day of salvation. A day to hear the song, to hear the Savior. A day to be refreshed, a day to be embraced, a day to be changed. A day to be ignited again with the fires of spiritual vitality. A day today to deal with stuff that we've indulged for too long. That's the first introductory point. The second is this. Uh, just to say that introductory point was 12 seconds faster in service two than service one. Why did I say that? Because we just caught up the time. Second introductory point, the life of faith is co costly and hard. Now, just, just get into the, 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 the shoes, the frame of mind of Abraham and Lot and all these. You know, there they were, prosperous in their lives. And God said, up sticks and go and live for the rest of your life in the realm of promise. That is not easy. Two, Moses wrote Genesis along with the other books that we call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, for the people of God when they were somewhere between year one and year 40 in the wilderness, waiting to get to the promised land. God had led them miraculously out of Egypt, but in the wilderness, there were many people saying, Egypt was terrible, but this is worse. The life of faith, the life of opposition, the life of being a nomad, the life of being different. And for us as Christians today, I've had three conversations, more than that this week, but three conversations in this realm. A teenager for whom school is tough, tough, tough as a Christian. A 50-year-old for whom work is tough, tough, tough as a Christian in all sorts of ways. And an 80-year-old who said to me, it's too late. It's too late. 
Now, if you're listening, I don't think you are that 80-year-old. But you're wrong. Let me let Jesus persuade you. It's hard being a Christian. Now, let's focus on Lot and his family um, with these two introductory points. Remember the introductory points? Listen to the song of salvation. Listen out for it. If a note of the melody that is the gospel strikes as we dwell in this realm of sin, hold on to it. If the Holy Spirit inside of you quickens you, hold on to it. Let's focus on Lot and his family. Um, their story in Genesis so far, quick recap, Lot, Lot was Abraham's nephew. And after um, the death of Lot's uh, father, Abraham and Sarai, as they were called there, as was custom in the ancient world, took them into their family. And when the Lord made his promise to Abraham that I will make a great nation out of you, go leave this place, go to this promised land, uh, Lot, as uh, in effect a, a kind of son figure uh, of Abraham and Sarah, went uh, with them. And uh, they went with them down to Egypt when there was famine in Canaan and all the stuff that went wrong there, and they came back up. And when they came back to Canaan after that sort of sojourn uh, to Egypt, God really blessed them all. He blessed Abraham, and he had, I mean, he blessed him with sheep. That might not seem a blessing uh, to you, but then it was a great thing. Lots and lots of sheep, thousands of sheep. And he also did it for Lot, and there were so many sheep that he couldn't look after all the sheep in the same part of Canaan. God blessed them. And so Abraham and Lot separated. They went their different ways, not because of any uh, fallout, just because they needed to pasture uh, their flocks. And very graciously, uh, they went up a hill and Abraham said, you choose Lot, you choose where you want to go. And Lot chose the land that he would occupy. He chose the green pastures of the Jordan near the Dead Sea, near the city of Sodom. And after uh, Lot uh, left Abraham, he went towards Sodom, and it appears from the narrative that he very quickly became involved in the affairs of the city. In fact, it seemed that he occupied a prominent civic and social place. Um, we know that when the, the angels come to Sodom, uh, they meet Lot sitting at the gate. And in the ancient world, you sat at the gate, and you kind of uh, made judicial decisions and, and gave advice and so on and so forth. He was a leader. He had status in the city of Sodom. But the people of Sodom, and we're told this uh, very early on in Genesis, were wicked. They were, and I'm quoting from uh, chapter, uh, uh, one of the earlier chapters, great sinners against the Lord. And from day one in Sodom, Lot was distressed by the blatant wickedness practiced by the inhabitants of the city. How do we know? Well, let me read to you from 2 Peter chapter 2. And this verse has vexed us as a, a preaching team. How, how is this true? 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It, Peter says, Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man, that's Lot, lived among them day after day, listen to this, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So for years when Lot lived in this city, 
He was tormented. His conscience seared him every day. So why on earth did he not get out? Now, uh, the narrative in Lot's life focuses on the events when he was taken captive and then miraculously, supernaturally, Abraham uh, rescued him and he went back to, to Sodom. And then Lot appears in the biblical narrative in Genesis again when God decided to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. At the end of God's relentless, gracious patience, And uh, Lot and his family are rescued by two angels sent by the Lord. They are brought out of Sodom by God's grace and mercy because of the covenant. And, and you'll remember if you were here last time that when the Lord's angels came to Sodom, there were two of them, they came in human form as men. Lot welcomed them to his home. But the way the men of Sodom received the Lord's angels showed the depth of depravity that bought the Lord's judgment on the city. The men of Sodom wanted to um, have sexual relations with the angels who had come to Sodom in human form as, as, as men. Now that is shocking, but even more shocking, if you remember, that in order to defuse the situation, he, he said he would give his virgin daughters to the mob that the men might have sex with them instead. Now, as the men of Sodom did not back down in their attempts to seize the angels who were in Lot's house, they were struck with a type of blindness. And Lot was ordered to take his entire family out of the city that would be destroyed. So Lot went that night to his sons-in-law. His daughters were not yet married uh, to them and uh, tried to persuade them to leave Sodom. And they laughed in his face. And that brings us to where we are in the narrative. The morning after, Lot and his family are still in the city and the angels were told, and you can see that, and they urged him. He said, up, come on, Lot, come on. Up and away. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away by the punishment of the city. And what did Lot do? Verse 16, he lingered. He could not let go. What did the Lord do? Did he despair of him? No, the Lord's angels, that's beautiful what they did. They took him and his wife and his daughters by the hand and led them out. Why? We're told in the text, because the Lord was merciful. He brought them out and set them outside the city. And as he brought them out, one said, escape for your life. That's the angel. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And even now, even now, Lot says, hang on a minute. Let's uh, bargain. I'm not sure. I don't think we, I can't deal with that. I've got to live in a city. Uh, what about that little one, Zoar? And the angel says, okay. So Lot went to Zoar. Now, Zoar was one of the cities in the group with Sodom and Gomorrah. The wickedness, the sin against the Lord in Zoar may not have been to the extent of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he, he was still back in the same world, the same atmosphere. 
And then the Lord destroyed uh, Sodom. We read that. Verses 23, 24, and 25. Verse 26, But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. The Lord's angels had expressly said, Do not look back, but she did. And the Lord's judgment fell on her at that instant. Her fate the same as Sodom and Gomorrah and its people. We'll come back to that. And then we read in 27 through 29 that judgment came, but because of the covenant promise, God preserved Abram and his family and took Lot out of Sodom. And then the narrative focuses on Lot and his daughters. Another shocking, sinful episode. Do you know, sometimes we make a grave mistake as Christians. We read these shocking episodes in the Bible and we, we, we don't allow ourselves just to make that one little step to say these things happen all the time. They happen all over our culture. It's human nature. Human nature can justify almost anything. And uh, they're living in this cave, humanly speaking, in the ancient world, the, the need to preserve the family line was so important. There was no prospect of that. There was no prospect of that. There was no prospect of that. And the point is that in the life of faith, there is very often no prospect of what we think is necessary. And they, um, they get their father drunk and they um, have children by him. Let me just read the, the very end of that episode. Uh, verse 37, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. And if you read uh, the rest of the Old Testament, the Moabites and the Ammonites uh, persecuted uh, the people of God. Mary was praying for the persecuted church. Well, here's uh, the, the start of it. What sad and shocking events. How real is all that? How real is all that of the culture of humanity? Now, what I want to do by way of application, and I'm glad we got there exactly halfway through, um, is to consider each of the three characters in turn. What can we learn from them? First, Lot's wife. Now, as we, as we are in the bleakness of the blackness of this, listen for the song of salvation. This is what the Lord Jesus said about Lot's wife. Now, I'm reading from the second reading in Luke. This is from Luke chapter 17, verse 28. Likewise, Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Lot, Jesus is speaking about um, the second coming when final judgment will come. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, in other words, going about their business. But on that day when Lot went out from Sodom, remember, taken out by the angels, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's uh, Jesus coming uh, at the end of time to, to judge. On that day, here's the, here's the, the, the warning 
let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. You know, when you have a fire alarm in a building, what are you told to do? Leave your belongings. Why? Because you might die. That's why. What are our instincts to do? And to be fair, it's often a fire alarm test, so we're not kind of on the edge. What our instincts to do is to gather up, to gather up, to gather up. That's just a little snapshot of human nature. And now the text says in Luke chapter 17, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, this is when Jesus comes again, there will be two um, in one bed, man and wife sleeping together in the bed. One will be taken, the other left. One to heaven, one to hell. That's what it's saying. There will be two women grinding together, two traders at their desk in the city, two teachers in a classroom. One will be taken, one will be left. And this gospel's so clear, isn't it? And they said, where will they be taken, Lord? And Jesus said, where the corpse is, where the vultures will gather in hell. Now, Lot's wife is an example of someone who faced a clear choice. Let me use a phrase from one of the Bible uh, writers. What was the choice she faced? And it's quite provocative what they say, but I think it's exactly right. The choice she faced was Sodom or salvation. And you see that what the Christian life, what Christ rescues us from, is as low as the hat, the human condition. It is a total revolution that Christ brings about. The world or salvation. She would not give up. She could not give up. She would not give up what possessed her heart, the things of this world. And all of a sudden, the judgment of God fell on her. Why a pillar of salt? Salt is a preservative. Was she preserved for a time as a reminder of the terrible consequence of turning back to the world away from the Lord that day? Maybe, maybe. But here she is preserved in all time in Scripture. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, remember, remember. The angel took her by the hand and did all that he could to wrest her out of the world. It's almost like she said, she, she pushed the angel away, pushed off his hand, and turned around, and judgment fell on her. Now, we could discuss now in the sermon, we won't, but of time, you could discuss in your small groups, don't, um, what God was doing, like, did God want to save her, or, or was she to be included in the promise, the way we need to think about Lot's wife is the way the Lord Jesus does as someone who on the day of judgment is found on the wrong side. Her fate's eternal judgment in hell. Now let me ask the direct question that Genesis asks of us all. Go forward to judgment day in your mind. And all these narratives like Genesis and the destruction of Sodom, they're terrible, terrible days in history. But they point us to that day, which will be a terrible and a wonderful day. Will you be on the world's side or the Lord's side? Will you be taken to heaven or taken to hell? That's what Genesis is asking. And we're not talking here about a righteous person. You might think, am I safe? 
I'm thinking that. You're not talking about a righteous person who struggles with contradictions and compromise and sin. You're talking about someone who, 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 who in their life experiences the, the hand of the angel of God and says, no. Why do they say no? Whoever seeks to preserve his life That's why they say no. Whoever loses his life will keep it. Where will you be? How can you know? Well, there's one way you can know for sure is that that we heard this yesterday. I'm looking over there. I was pointing because that's where Chris was sitting in service one, but he's gone home now. But just imagine he's there. Chris at the men's breakfast yesterday shared his testimony. And what is a Christian's testimony? All sorts of different circumstances. He told how he came to terms with his need to find forgiveness of his sin, the depth of the blackness in his heart and in his life. And he found the only one person who could forgive him is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he turned to him and he was saved and his life was changed. So on that day, Chris will be in heaven. I wonder if Lot's wife, when she turned back, was presuming on God's mercy a moment longer. But there was no time left. Now, if you are on the cusp of that kind of decision, let me say to you that it will be a costly decision. Uh, Yesterday, I was thinking of um, uh, Ruth in the Bible at a crossroads on a road um, on the way from Moab, where she lived, we'll come back to Ruth from Moab in a minute, on the way to Bethlehem to God, stood Ruth and her sister Orpah, and everything humanly said, Ruth, Orpah, go back to Moab, go back to your gods. And even Naomi, this righteous woman, said, you better go back, it's hopeless, there's just no way that the Christian life is for you. And Ruth, Ruth came out with these marvelous, marvelous words I will go where you go. I will lodge where your God will be my God. I will die with you. It's costly. It's today, decision day. What about Lot's daughters? It's a terrible thing they did. It is. What we're reading in this part of Genesis is shocking. Shocking things. But terrible things like this happen all of the time. Terrible things like abuse and exploitation and incest and depravity. These women, Lot's daughters, had grown up in Sodom. This is the impact of that culture in their lives. that they could justify these actions. There is no justification at all for what they did. Now, can we hear any notes in the melody of salvation? Can you hear any notes 
Well, let me just read again verse 37. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. Remember Ruth? Where did she come from? From Moab. That godly woman. God brought her to Bethlehem, to Boaz, a righteous man who became her husband. They had a son whose name was Obed, whose grandson was David. Now, why is that little detail here? Not so that we can say, oh, God is sovereign and he brings his purposes about and we can thwart him in every way we can and he will bring... Yes, that's all true. This is here to, to show us in the dark pit of human depravity in the cave that night. There is still light and grace. And if you are, as someone may be, in the darkest of the darkest of pits of human sin, there is hope. Always. Just look at this. Do you know in these narratives in the Old Testament, the cloth is at its blackest and the diamond shines and at its brightest. Finally, Lot, a righteous man, a believer. What kind of man was he? Well, he took Lot, uh, Abram took Lot into his family. I mean, I, I think Abraham had the do you know, God spoke to him directly and he got up and left and uh, God didn't speak to Sarai directly but she got up and left with him and God didn't speak to Lot directly but he got up and left with him. He was obedient. He went. He went. He was an obedient. He was, a, he was faithful at the start. Um, Lot was blessed by God and he prospered but he was lured by the world. He was lured by the world of Sodom. You see, this is why the Christian life is, is so it's hard. It's hard. What, were the, what was the world of Sodom? The material benefits it brought, the status it gave him. And the sexual sin that was a marked feature of life in Sodom. What did Lot make of it? And the application to us is what this is a striking verse, and we've wrestled with this verse in, in, in 2 Peter as a, as a team. Day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over what he saw. In other words, he knew, felt it was wrong. Yet in some way, he could not separate himself. He could not distance himself. He couldn't break away. Now, is that another world or is that real? Whether it's position or status or material things or, or sexual stuff, whatever the culture presses upon us, and then when the angels came to Sodom, Lot welcomed them. He was kind and he was gracious. And then that shocking offer to the mob concerning his daughters, Sodom had colored his judgment so he could say this. You know, there comes a point in life when we'll say the most terrible things. 
and he lingered in the city. He would not go. It took an angel of the Lord to take his hand. And sometimes it takes um, a mighty supernatural work of God to rest our hearts. Even then he bargained with God. He said, look, I need a little city to live in. I need a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And uh, they, they agreed. But he was righteous. How on earth was this man righteous? Is it a weighing up of his obedience and his disobedience? No, he was righteous because of the mercy and grace of God. As you are and as I am. And when you come to terms with the nature of our human sin and you come to terms that you are righteous, your appreciation of Christ, your affections for him rise and grow and well over. So on judgment day, we will be welcomed home. Let me assure you of that if you've come to Christ in genuine repentance for the forgiveness of you. Does it matter then how you live now? Now, don't conclude too quickly. The answer to that is yes. Does it matter if you live a compromised life? Does it matter if we live as close to the line as we can? Does it matter that we live every day with our conscience seared by what we see and what we feel and what we think, but don't do anything about it until we lie down in our beds at the end of our life and wish we had? Does it matter to our eternal salvation? Does it matter if our souls are tormented? No. Why do I say no? Because God's grace always has the last word. But might living like that on the earth damage those around us? Damage those closest to us? This Bible passage, Lot's Life, asks us as Christians to consider if there are changes we need to make in our lives. To say no to a desire for status. That is not the same as having status. It's nothing to do with that. Or a desire for material prosperity. Or pandering to sexual sin. You know, if you, and one must assume that they are right, believe the statistics that are published about Christians and pornography, the, the differences are not any different from others. And so many of us as Christians are living close to that line. We live with consciences that are seared every day. You know, when the, Bible, when the Bible speaks about a desire for things or a desire for status or a desire for sensual pleasures that are wrong, it always speaks about the damage it does to another. The damage to another. Now, let's hear as we come to a close. We're 30 seconds behind. Um, more, uh, more than at any other time in this sermon. Listen, listen now. Listen keenly in your hearts because the Holy Spirit lives it. Listen for the song, the notes of salvation. Listen out for Jesus. Listen out for Jesus as you uh, contemplate perhaps some of us that, that life of living on a line, that conscience seer that I've never got up, I've never broken this chain. Listen for Jesus.
you think by sheer force of habit you cannot change. Every day is a day of salvation. Today, that chain can be smashed. If we feel that our actions or attitudes in the presence are damaging others, then ask for the Lord's help. And let me finish with this. If you feel that your actions or your attitudes in the past have damaged others, and humanly speaking, there is no way to put that right, then take comfort from, or there is no way that they will come back to the Lord. Then take comfort from the light that penetrates the darkness. Take comfort from the light that penetrated the darkness of that cave that night. And these things are there in Scripture to say to us. There is never despair. There is never hopelessness. There's always grace. There's always love. There's always mercy because there is always the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Father, we pray that as we come to the Lord's table and to the cross of Christ, that you would move us in mind and soul and heart and raise our affections for the Lord Jesus, who is our all and all. We pray in his name.